this episode is brought to you by British surgeon James Barry. Now, James Barry joined the British military as a doctor pretty much right out of medical school, and he served as a hospital assistant in Plymouth and Chelsea before being assigned to Cape Town, South Africa. While there, he worked to upgrade the water and sanitation systems, as well as blah, 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 as well as improving the conditions for prisoners, slaves, and the mentally ill. And he also created a sanctuary for the leper population there. Also, while he was in Cape Town, he performed one of the first successful cesarean sections in history, and that is really fucking hard to say. I don't know why he couldn't have had a different achievement, but that's what he did, and it's hard to say, and I hate him, and I love him for it. His time in Cape Town is probably what he is most known for, but he also ended up serving as a military doctor in multiple locations, including the West Indies, Malta, and finally, Canada. And it was and it was because of his general outrage towards unnecessary suffering that everywhere he went, he focused on improving the state of living for the inhabitants, um, just like he had done in Cape Town. And his tactics for doing this were often heavy-handed, which means he frequently got into altercations with his superiors because he was because he was demanding improvements for underrepresented groups of people, and he wasn't really polite about it. As he got older, Barry left strict instructions that upon his death, his body should be buried immediately without any sort of medical examination. And despite this, after his death, his body was given a full examination, and it was discovered that Dr. James Barry, who had devoted his career to improving the lives of those less fortunate and through hard work had risen through the ranks of Inspector General, was discovered to be biologically female. This is Out of History. This means that we can walk the streets as ourselves and not be harassed by anybody. Just be ourselves. Be proud to be ourselves. I think we need a radically new definition of what it means to be masculine. up society when the army gives me a medal for killing a man and a dishonorable discharge for loving him. The way that society is now, there are certain people who can't afford to watch. So those who can, do it on behalf of those who can. Welcome back to Out of History, a queer history podcast where we, meaning I, discuss the not-so-straight histories of famous historical figures i.e. people whose names you will definitely recognize, even if you know nothing about queer history. If you missed last week's episode, you should definitely go back and listen to it. Mostly because, I mean, it's a great episode, because I did it, and it's great. But there's also a long explanatory intro that basically gives you an idea for what to expect from this podcast, and I honestly don't feel like repeating it every episode. To put it concisely, this isn't a gossip website, so don't expect it to be salacious. This is a history podcast, so it's going to be informative, not saucy. Maybe a little bit saucy. Anyways, this week, we're going to be talking about the man called the actor's actor. The man who is said to have understood Shakespeare better than Shakespeare himself did. He's one of two actors to have directed themselves to an Oscar nomination and also win. 
And of course, talking about none other than Laurence Olivier. And perhaps you're familiar with him. Maybe you're not. Maybe you're just vaguely aware of his name. In any case, I'm about to talk about him a little bit. So in about 45 seconds, you'll know who he is. Here's a super quick overview. During his time, Olivier was considered to be one of the greatest actors alive. His preferred medium was the stage, where he was known for his exceptional performances of Shakespearean characters like Romeo, Othello, and Richard III. So he is possibly most known, however, for his performance as Hamlet, um, a performance so great that he actually won an Oscar for the film adaptation. And if you're interested to see what his Hamlet was like, you can actually look up his to-be-or-not-to-be speech on YouTube. Uh, just type it into the search box, it pops right up, and you can see why people considered him to be a master of his craft. On a more personal level, he was married three times in his life, and his most famous and tumultuous, so to speak, was to fellow stage and screen actress Vivian Leigh, who... I mean, even if her name doesn't necessarily ring a bell, you definitely know her because she was Scarlett O'Hara in Gone with the Wind. And I mean, that's kind of an iconic role. Come on. So the two of them, uh, Olivier and Leigh, wrote some really sensually romantic letters to each other while they were married. There's actually been a few pretty good books written about it. But obviously, that relationship isn't what we're talking about him. And I think you know that. And before we get started, I'd like to do a little bit of a disclaimer, because I really almost didn't do this episode. Mostly because Olivier's family, particularly his older son, have gone out of their way to disavow any so-called homosexual rumors. And like I said, not here to create a gossip circle. It's important to be respectful, especially since these figures can't actively speak for themselves. However, in his autobiography, Olivier himself talks about having affairs with men. So by that account, I don't feel like it's something scandalous to talk about, and I don't feel like we're disrespecting his memory, and I don't feel like we're disrespecting his family, especially since his late wife doesn't seem bothered by these rumors either. So I feel like it's a safe topic to talk about, and I feel like it's okay to discuss. So without further ado, I guess we can get on to it. So during his lifetime, uh, Laurence Olivier's relationships with women, particularly Vivian Leigh, as I mentioned before, were highly publicized and very talked about during their time. But Larry, as he liked to be called, never publicly named any of his male suitors. And I'm sure you can decide for yourself his reasoning why, but I feel like it's pretty obvious. It sucks, but it's pretty obvious. So there are actually a few guesses based on people who have done research on the topic on who or whom said male suitors could be. Um, the first likely candidate is Noel Coward, a slightly older actor. He was about six or seven years older than Olivier, who appeared to pursue Olivier during his first marriage to actress Jill Esmond. And Coward was known in circles to be homosexual, but he wasn't public about it due to the times, obviously, and his career. But people who knew Coward on a personal level knew that he was homosexual. And he frequently wrote cutesy letters to Olivier and openly flirted with him in private company. Also, amongst acquaintances, Coward insisted that he and Olivier had experienced 
sexual familiarities together, which is definitely his wording of it because I would never put those two words together on my own. Another actor, Dennis Blakelock, was a little more openly gay than Coward was, and he was also quite close to Olivier before his first marriage, his being Olivier's. Um, This one is special because Olivier actually talks about the relationship that the two of them had, and in his own words, he said he embraced this unaccustomed happiness with innocent young gratitude. This one is a little more interesting because it's one that Olivier's main biographer, Terry Coleman, did find evidence of. It was a so-called affair when Larry was younger with a fellow Shakespearean theater actor named Henry Ailey. Now, just a little bit quick about Terry Coleman. Because he worked on his massive, and I do mean massive, Olivier biography for four years and talked to hundreds of people about the actor. And he also had access to Olivier's letters and memorabilia, which is something no other biographer has had, as well as having the benefit of actually interviewing Larry while he was still alive. So he had that sort of closeness to him that no other biographer has had. And apparently with all of these interviews and information that he was able to gather, um, the only relationship he said he found a hint of was with Henry Ainley. And he referred to this relationship as a fact in his biography of Olivier, which is, is the only reason Coleman mentions it, because he is very, very dry. The one biggie, like the one that people talk about the most when discussing Olivier's sexuality is his supposed long-term affair with American comedian Danny Kaye. This particular relationship was supposedly well-known at the time, and it occurred during Olivier's interesting marriage to Vivian Leigh. And I do want to take a moment to kind of talk about her a little bit because I feel like she often gets maligned, especially in regards to her marriage to uh, Laurence Olivier. But looking back at her behavior and symptoms, it is very obvious that she was struggling from some undiagnosed form of bipolar disorder. And while, of course, you can't excuse someone's actions always, and nobody deserves to experience abuse at the hand of a loved one, it can be said that her actions were mostly from being very sick in her brain and not having the ability to treat it or not being able to treat it or not being taken seriously for her illness. It's unfortunate is what I'm saying. Anyways, according to quite a few sources, if we're being honest, Larry found comfort in someone who was as witty and well-read as Kay was, and who also seemed to absolutely adore him. It's said that Olivier was allegedly going to mention his relationship with Kay in his autobiography, but his third wife, Joan Plowright, advised against it, which makes sense considering this book was coming out in the early 80s, which is not a good time to be gay. Really not a good time. There are a spare few others who are mentioned, but there's not a whole lot of evidence to back them up. There's not multiple accounts the way there are with the others, and there's not any sort of evidence, really. However, 
The portrait that these few cases help paint goes along with what most everyone said about Olivier as a person and as an actor. He was someone mostly unsure of himself when it came to his personal life, and he definitely felt more comfortable on a stage where he could retreat into a character rather than existing as himself. Olivier was someone who loved the attention of those who admired him and sought out the company of people who were enamored with his presence because who doesn't like attention? I mean, I can't blame him. And he, more often than not, allowed the other person to set the tone for what their conversation and relationship would be and would wait for their cues to act, so to speak. Such mannerisms and demeanor are perfect for creating a talented actor and not necessarily great for someone trying to figure out and consider their own sexual identity. Also, as a slight addendum, for what it's worth, his first wife, as I said before, Jill Esmond, went on to be in predominantly lesbian relationships for the rest of her life. And this has led some people to assume their marriage was one of convenience, which may or may not be true as neither of them spoke about it in those terms. And I know this is never substantial proof, but they didn't have a son together. So there is something to say that they were in love with each other. Also, Esmond seemed truly distraught when Olivier divorced her for Vivian Lay. And in the court documents for their divorce, she even listed Lay as the reason for the divorce. So there is that. My main takeaway from all of this information is essentially this. Knowing about Olivier's clear bisexuality doesn't diminish, in my eyes, who he was as an actor. Rather, to me, it enhances our understanding of his skills and abilities, and also how his process worked. By all accounts, Olivier was a man who wanted others to take the lead, and he didn't seem to mind whether the person doing the leading was a woman or a man. One could say he worked so hard in his professional life, then when it came to his private life, he kind of just wanted to chill the fuck out. Next time on Out of History, we're going to be talking about one of the most insane bitches to ever come out of Hollywood. And I feel like just by that sentence alone, you already know who I'm talking about. So I'm not going to spoil it. And I'm going to let you find out if you were right or not. And of course, Thank you to all of the wonderful biographers on Olivier for all of their intense, wonderful research, including Olivier himself, as well as Terry Coleman, Donald Spoto, and uh, Tarkin Olivier himself, who wrote about his father in his book, My Father, Lawrence Olivier. And also thank you to all of the people who continue to talk about issues such as this, because oral tradition is just as important as written tradition when it comes to history. And don't forget, you're creating your own history every single day. So make it a good one. We'll see you in a few weeks. And that in hopes that someday there'll be no need to demonstrate the right to make love to anybody you want, any way you want. Well, you gotta start somewhere.